Hello and welcome to Lewis and Kyle Show, an interview podcast where my friend Lewis and I interview incredible entrepreneurs, investors, and thought leaders in a wide array of subjects. Today, we have the pleasure of interviewing Ali Nichols. This was a super fun episode. I say that every single time, but you know what? I mean it every single time. Uh, Ali is the co-founder at a company called Getaway. They are fractionalizing short-term rental investing with the goal of increasing access to that asset class to anyone who can afford to make a $1,000 investment in a fraction of ownership of a short-term rental property. They recently raised $5.9 million from Cowboy Ventures, XYZ Ventures, and Insight Ventures to accelerate their ability to reach this goal. Previously, Ali held senior roles at Bungalow, which is a very similar startup to Airbnb in the space, and also had senior roles at Uber, where she actually managed some of their real estate department. And if you don't know what Uber had to do with real estate, we do answer that question in this podcast. Uh, what do we cover in this conversation with Ali? That is a fantastic question. In this conversation, we cover lots, especially at the beginning, of detailed real estate questions about how Getaway works. That's taxes, that's fee structure, that's management, that's the deal flow, that's the tooling they've used to make their lives easier. And uh, I know a lot of you are going to ask how they compare to competition and things like that and the pros and cons of doing that. We also ask about the marketing and go-to-market strategy for finding the investors. So marketing the properties is you kind of just, you know, make them look pretty and put them on Airbnb. But we discuss how she's marketing to find investors to buy the fractions of the property. Oh, this is what I wanted to say, everybody. I wanted to say, we do ask the question, Kyle does it point blank. We say, what is the difference between this and a timeshare? I know a lot of people are going to want us to have asked that question. And don't you, don't you worry, we did. Uh, we also ask her about her relationship with her co-founder, what she learned working at Uber, and also, again, how she plans to compete with other big players in the industry like Fundrise. Of course, we say this in every episode, hopefully, with episodes like this. This is not financial advice. I don't know anything. Kyle, do you know anything about finance? No, he doesn't. This is just education. This is just entertainment. We are not professionals. We are simply two dudes hanging out, having fun, chatting with people who are starting businesses, etc. That's all I have to say before we get started. I know you're going to enjoy this conversation with Ali because myself and Kyle both did thoroughly. I'm going to do a quick word from our sponsor, and then we will be getting this party started. Thank you so much for being here. Enjoy. This episode is brought to you by our friends at VASA, the virtual assistant staffing agency. We hired our first virtual assistants from VASA to assist with our operations running the show back in June. But VASA is not just for podcast editors. If you need some extra hands to free up your time, let VASA help you with hiring for administrative, technical, and creative work. That's graphic design, cold callers, social media managers, sales reps, video editors, admin assistants, and more. Free up your time to focus on your highest impact work and learn more about VASA at vastaffing.agency or by clicking the link in the show notes to schedule a free strategy session with their team. Alrighty, back to the show. Allie, welcome to the Lewis and Kyle show. Thank you for being here. Hey guys, super excited to be here as well. Awesome. So my first question is why has real estate traditionally been um, only for rich people and what are you doing to change it? Yeah. So historically, you know, entering into the real estate market, the biggest barrier is definitely the upfront capital required uh, to even get a deal done, uh, let alone the ability to then go to a bank and or a lender and, and get it financed. Um, and so I have started a company with my co-founder, Amr Shafiq, called Getaway, which allows everyone meaning accredited and non-accredited investors alike, to be able to fractionally invest in premier 
uh, cash flowing short-term rental properties. And once you become an investor, you earn rental income um, as well as appreciation on the property when it's uh, sold after the hold period. Um, and then one added benefit just to throw in there about getaway is all of our investors actually can stay in the properties they're invested in and the entire portfolio of homes um, at member only discounts and rates. So our product is not only just a real estate investment product, but also uh, an investment in your travel and lifestyle. Now, that is something that's very unique that I wanted to touch on. I don't think there's any other investment product that gives you both of those things people would say are liking it to a timeshare. So let's go ahead and get that out of the way. Why is it different? Yeah. So with a timeshare, you're just buying the right to use a specific property. You have no rights to the actual you know, title or deed or ownership of that unit. Um, so with us, first and foremost, you're buying a percentage of a physical property. And with that, you know, you get the economic benefits of of the performance from the home, whether that's rental income um, or appreciation. Um, so again, first and foremost, you're buying a fraction of a home versus just buying uh, time to use it. Are you buying these properties with leverage? Yes. So when we assess every deal, you know, the the financing market is constantly changing. So we're we're along for the ride with that. But when we assess every deal, we look at it both from, okay, if we're able to achieve, you know, 70% leverage, 60%, 50%, um, what does that look like from a return profile and, you know, a future looking IRR? Um, and we'll determine basically at the property level. But the first properties that we have in the portfolio both have um, over 60% leverage on them. And is your offering the equity or is it the total? Offering is the equity portion. Okay. Um, Interesting. So as an investor in getaway, you're buying a slice of the equity. Um, we've, we've structured the debt side uh, as non-recourse debt. So you know, okay. the debt lives with the LLC that owns the property and you're buying ownership interest into the LLC. Um, so God forbid something happens, like an investor is not liable for mm. the debt on the property individually. How did you, how do you underwrite? And this will be the last, maybe, maybe the last one. How do you we underwrite? Started we, start, we, start, we started um, with, the rapid, with the rapid rap, flip the scripts. How are you accounting for uh, lost revenue when the, uh, basically, how are you assuming how many times the members will stay in the unit? Yeah, it's a great question. So traditional short-term rental operators right now, like we rely so heavily on channels like Airbnb and VRBO. Like you know, they've created such a pool of demand. It'd be silly not to. And I think anybody you talk to in the space is going to say those are their two biggest channels. But there's a flip side. By you know creating all that demand, they take a hefty fee mm -hmm. in, in the process. And so every time you go and book an Airbnb for, you know, a guy's trip over the weekend, um, you are paying an extra, I believe, 14.2% as a guest. And then the host is paying an additional um, 3%. And that is not only on like your accommodation fare, but that's on accommodation plus cleaning. So it ends up being like close to 18% total that Airbnb is collecting in addition to what anyone's making um, there. So 
as we thought about, you know, building out incentives for, for our customers, like right off the bat, we knew that if people booked, if our members booked directly to us, like we wouldn't hurt our underwriting revenue. Um, if we could stay within that 18% and pass, pass that savings essentially on to, to our investors for being able to stay directly in their home. Um, so with that, it really actually evens out in the portfolio where we're not, the actual property is not taking a, a huge hit, um, if a hit at all, um, for investors to stay. That's super, that's a really interesting answer. Yeah. Louis, do you have a question? I've got plenty of questions too, but you yeah. just had them out there ready, <laughs> like you're pitching with a, a pitching machine. Um, tons of questions for me as well. I heard you make this claim on another podcast and I'm oh, curious. Gosh. No, it was, it was I, heard, I heard you make it twice, <laughs> two podcasts actually. So oh, I, I think it should be good, but you know, I like Costco cause right. They, they tell you that the gas prices are like the best within a mile of Costco. And back to the investing in the lifestyle and the super unique benefit, less on the investment side, more on the consumer side is you said that your rate as a partial owner or depending on the tier level is going to be like your cheapest accommodation for that comparable thing within that market. How are you, I guess, doing the price checking to back that one up? And maybe you can actually explain the guarantee correctly instead of me trying to explain the guarantee correctly. In terms of, you know, members assessing opportunities to stay in a market, um, we, you know, first on the pricing side, so we use dynamic pricing tools um, to really make sure that we're competitive to, you know, our competition, but also trying to drive the highest occupancy as possible. Because, you know, one thing that's really big in the short-term rental game is like the higher the occupancy you have at the end of the year, your, re your top line revenue is going to be better. Like the more you can optimize for midweek bookings and things like that. So we're constantly changing the price. Like on a daily basis, there is a algorithm that is looking at like what is competitive in the market and how do we stack rank against, you know, everyone in our neighborhood with the same criteria or characteristics of the property. Um, and then we also have a human in the loop that's like validating those assumptions um, to make sure that, you know, the algorithm is, is on point. So from that perspective, that's how we know we're, within range of what's happening in our specific market. Um, and then from a guarantee point for, for our customers, it's just where the, the discounts and the bonuses come in for being an investor of like, okay, so you have two houses on the same street that have the exact same characteristics, both have a pool, can sleep the same amount of people and are listed for $500 a night. If you're an investor with with getaway and you get 20% off every night you stay there, like obviously like it's, it's better choice than going next door to the same home. Um, so I won't say like put a big asterisk. I won't guarantee that no matter what we didn't, like there wasn't one property that snuck through that ended up being a little bit cheaper, but definitely on average, um, the idea is, is if you're going to a market, as an investor that has a getaway property, you should check it out first because likely it's going to be a better deal for you than going through something on Airbnb. This might be like an algebra question. Uh, so I don't want to put anyone on the spot to do hard maths, but is there an out. optimal ratio? Yeah. Right. Is, is there an optimal ratio of the occupancy from members versus non-members? I don't know why my brain went there, but I'm like this with the numbers. I'm like, well, that's a big discount to 20%. It's like, do you, 
have you thought that through? So I, there is no actual. I mean, yeah, actually, it's yeah. The yeah to Kyle's point, like really, the discount is coming from like not paying the third party service provider. So as an investor, I'm getting a discount to market, but I'm also not because you're booking directly. But I'm also not hurting my investment as an like in the property and its performance. If that makes sense. Because the the net number is the same to uh, get away to and to the owners, so the owners are making right. the same revenue. The, to the LLC series, yeah. yeah. That, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, how, so tax implications are? Do you do um, getaway investors benefit from depreciation? Yes. So the way that we are structuring. On the tax side is like very much, uh, you know, looking for ways to one, reduce everybody's tax burden um, on property. So like want to take advantage as, as of as many deductions as humanly possible for real estate. So depreciation is a huge one that can really, you know, help your taxable income uh, yearly. Uh, especially like for our business, like operating expenses, like property management fees, those types of things can all be deducted from the taxable income. Um, But we are approaching um, each individual property as a corporation. So instead of doing K-1s, we'll be doing 1099s and we'll be applying for REIT qualification for each property. Applying for REIT qualification for each property through what's that regulatory agency? It's it would be through the IRS. It's applying is probably not the right verb there, but like hoping to qualify as a REIT for each property. Do you have to meet all of the REIT? Um, like, so are you going to have to report as a REIT? Like FFO have like. But as a private, yeah. So it yeah, does. Okay, it create, interesting. It creates a ton more back office work. Um, right. Well. It's kind of one of the same though, because K doing K ones for thousands of investors is also extremely time consuming. So it's like, where do you want to spend your time? Um, but we think that from a user perspective as an investor, if I'm only putting in a thousand dollars into a property, like for me to receive a K one, and I might not have other K ones that I'm doing, like your your accounting to do your taxes will be higher than whatever you make off the property. Um, so just, right. it doesn't make sense for, for a small investor. And so we're really trying to position the product to really be as user-friendly as, as humanly possible. I love a user-first company. That's, <laughs> that's what we love to see. I don't see. know, do you um, guys get K-1s today? Like you might, because you're dabbling in lots of different things. Um, do I? I'll, ask, I don't know. I'll turn the question to you. Does Fundrise distribute K-1s? I've got a little bit in Fundrise. I believe, you know, I don't know which for all of their funds what they're doing. Uh, okay. So I don't want to misspeak there, but I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure they do 1099s for, for some of the larger ones. I, mean, I feel like K-1 was a new acronym to me today. And I do participate <laughs> oh, yeah. in the process of my own taxes. I have a friend so, whose mom called whole job is preparing k-1s um but i have a question for you um and i don't know i don't really know how to ask this question so bear with me but like the i want to use the word durability but i don't think that's the right word like uh, the value of a cash flow is in some way 
determined by its the its guarantee, yeah. right? Like a thousand dollar cash flow from the government every month is is worth more to me than a thousand dollars from Sally Sue. Totally. Um. So in that same way the value of cash flows from a short-term rental are worth marginally less to me yep. than the same cash flow on a 12-month lease, right? So how do you like quantify that risk or how do you think about that? And forgive me for not asking this question in the best way. Uh, I just think you have, might have an interesting answer. Yeah, no, I think you're spot on. It's, um, it's kind of like your risk-adjusted returns, right? Uh, mm -hmm. So... With short-term rentals, like one thing you'll see right now in the market is like you're still able to get higher cash flow than a long-term rental property. And a lot of long-term rental properties, given where rates are right now, like won't even won't even be in the black in terms of like month. Like you'll be lucky to break even. So there's definitely still that spread in the short-term rental space for the right properties in the right locations and the right operators. Like I will say that over and over again, like the operating of this asset class is is extremely important where it doesn't matter as much in the long-term rental space. Um, so with that, I think as you're assessing the market, like I, I'd be really interested to see where people are in terms of their long-term rental rates. Like when you think of like a cash on cash yield, um, because what we're seeing on the short-term rental side is you can still you know, depending on how creative you get with leverage, you can still hit like high single digits, low teens um, on the cash on cash side, but that's because they're generating, you know, two to three to four to five X the revenue as it could as a long-term rental. I have two questions. Oh, I, uh, this might be more of a bonus question, but I might ask it now. Do you have a plan for the Scottsdale Super Bowl and Golf Open weekend? <laughs> Such one a good of your properties question. is in Scottsdale, and that's like, I mean, people are it's that's like top of the town is like how much you can charge per night because there's like the biggest golf thing in the world and the Super Bowl in the same city on the same weekend. It's wild that they're hosting it all the same weekend. Like, I'm still shocked that Phoenix Scottsdale area can like handle that influx. Um, so there's my, a lot of lanes on the roads here. Yeah. Fair. I love Arizona, by the way. It's like such a great market. Um, so we, I've been a little bit opportunistic in terms of how we're thinking about the Super Bowl weekend. Uh, and right now I've been holding off. Um, well, by holding off, like I've set a price that I think is unreasonably high uh, as like an opportunistic, like if somebody wants to book it for this rate, great, like good for all of our investors, but likely it won't get booked um, with the thought of waiting till we know who's in the Super Bowl because uh, there'll be a lot mm. more fans yeah, that matters. to then book. Um, and so that's been our approach right now. So we're like anxiously waiting. I can't tell you who's in the running. <laughs> I know that we haven't figured it out yet in terms of who's going. So we'll, we'll look at back to the dynamic pricing piece. Like we'll look at like what's reasonable based on what the neighborhood is doing for this home with those characteristics. And the second that we know, you know, who's going to end up in the, as the final two teams that I'm going to list the price within what's fair. Mm, interesting. Yeah. I got a lot of stuff going through my mind right now about, uh, so one of the limitations that I kind of see to this is like, 
you're you have to raise on a deal by deal basis. And if you're like this excellent operator and you are you have an edge, right? You're able to find properties yeah. and and close on them. Like you can't wait the like real estate is time of the essence, yeah. right? So like, are you going to close on deals and then sell your equity as the offering? Or like, how are you planning on beating that time problem? Yeah, it's a great question. So, and this might be a little bit of a cop out of an answer, but a little bit of both. So preferably like as a, you know, VC backed company, the last thing we want to do is, is, buy properties and like have them sit on our balance sheet. Um, and mm -hmm. so our goal is, is to really identify opportunities, um, you know, be able to put them in contract, raise the equity capital from our investors and close. Like that's per ideal state for us. Um, but if there's an amazing opportunity in the market that the timing isn't going to work, but we know that this is like a prime, like straight down the fairway type of investment for us. Um, we'll definitely be open to, to, you know, closing on something and then listing it as an investment. But you can't, you can do that yeah. though. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's sick. I got a question. List, if, you're, question. If, you're, if, you're, if you're on yeah. pause here, <laughs> time is not of the essence in your brain at the at present, but <laughs> uh, I got an iPad. This is my first podcast with the iPad as, Ooh, as the question. So I'm I just having so much fun with the, the handwritten iPad notes. Uh, but so I, that's just going crazy with the with the prep here. Are you doing what the ones is the? Where, oh, sorry. Are you doing the ones where? No, go ahead. You no. type it and it turns to text. Uh, I'm not doing that. I, I kind of like my handwriting, oh. so I don't know. I feel like it's a lot. It's it's more intimate. This the, the world of handwriting. Right. And so the person we're we're interviewing in a few hours, uh, their assistant had messaged me today. Do you know like one of the, the guests wanted to know the questions in advance? So I sent a screenshot of like my chicken scratch notes and I was like, if you can't read this, let me know, but I'm, I'm not going to transcribe this for you. And they said it works. So great. It's readable. <laughs> yeah. Nick That's Ray's assistant is able to read handwriting. Oh, I'm, gonna send I'm you, not going to transcribe. I'm going to send you my written notes. Like see if you can read it. <laughs> yeah. It's like I did prep, you know, so we'll see, but he's also like a good talker. But, uh, the question I have for you is division of responsibilities between you and your co-founder because it's not super clear to me what you do, what, what he does seems like you're yeah. capable of answering every question about the business, but I can't imagine you're day-to-day -day responsible for every single thing. Yeah, so we, um, so my co-founder Amr and I, we actually worked together previously at another real estate startup called Bungalow and had the chance of, you know, I led a lot of the business initiatives and different teams on the side of the business. Um, and he was leading product and design and like really interfacing with the engineering team um, and just complement each other's skill sets in so many different ways. So we're taking that into getaway where um, he runs product design engineering. Um, and then I, I run the different business functions, whether that's like supply acquisition operations, um, I will say we like split marketing. Like we both spend a ton of time in terms of user acquisition and figuring that, that side out, but that's basically like our divide. I have a lot of questions I could ask you about marketing. Uh, yeah. Less so about the, you know, Kyle kind of led the show with, with the beginning with the real estate technical questions, which yeah. we may have more of, uh, but at least in my role in the company I'm in, I've been more so in the marketing side of things and less so on the uh, marketing the properties themselves. We've kind of covered that. You have the internal yeah. network for the owners to get through the getaway.com or whatever the proper domain is. 
and then Airbnb and kind of just, it, no one has to know, like it's not necessarily interesting to the person buying a vacation totally. rental unless they're an owner yeah. that it's on Airbnb or Verbo. But for go-to-market strategy for investors, besides obviously being on lots of uh, great podcasts like the Lewis and Kyle show, yeah. <laughs> what else are you doing to raise awareness and find kind of those early investors? Because I believe you are, this is a question we usually ask early, you are like past launch, like you have fully, like this is an operational model. We're not speaking theoretical. Yeah, so we like the, have- Everything we've talked about has happened a couple of times. Yes, so we have we have um, two properties within our portfolio right now. One's actually live for investment. Um, so we're, you know, hit the ground running on all things like user acquisition and figuring out uh, our ideal customer and, and where we're going to find them and, and so forth. So across marketing, you know, like in true startup fashion, we're, we're kind of doing everything like and trying to figure out like, where you know, really narrow down and like get a solid understanding of who our customer is, you know, how do we message to them and, and where do we find them? Um, there is like some benefit, like, you know, we're trying to balance also the, the approach of like getting our name out there really quickly and, and paying for it, like on a paid social platform, like Facebook and Instagram um, versus you know, really building up more of an organic strategy from the ground up and uh, figuring out how to turn our current investors into like into using a referral program and starting to grow more word of mouth as well as like potential partnerships with um, creators across YouTube and Instagram um, and TikTok and other channels like that. So I would say it's very much a dual approach right now. Like we're definitely seeding um, a lot of just like building up our CRM with paid social, but then also really like trying to invest heavily in these channels that are more medium to longer term where we can actually start to like grow our, our earned traffic versus paid traffic. Um, Cause I really think over time, this business like works really well as a referral organic growth business if you have to always buy every new investment it just like won't work so that's where our big focuses are um i noticed on your website that it says that all disposition decisions will be um done by getaway llc which is you and your co-founder and your yeah. management team what kind of um i guess what, what will that look like for you? And like, how do you structure the incentives of that decision to make sure that it's what's best for the investor? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, the one thing that we want to achieve is, is that everybody walks away with, you know, thinking this was an amazing financial decision. Like the more wealth we can create for our, our customer base, the better. Um, so as we think about, about, hold periods and, and when to sell a property. Um, we're really like looking at the market and understanding like, you know, how can we capitalize on the most amount of appreciation possible? Um, whether that happens in three years, unlikely probably, whether that happens in seven years, more likely, uh, that's how we'll be assessing from just, you know, that lens of like, how do we make sure this is the best outcome for everybody? Mm -hmm. And then in terms of incentive alignment, uh, one piece and one way that, that getaway makes money is we do have, um, 
a small portion of the carry, um, or we make essentially 10% of any profits post uh, disposition of a property. So just to clarify what that means for anyone listening is all of our investors make their initial investment back 100%. And then anything that's left over, Getaway takes uh, 10% of the profit and then the 90% are distributed amongst the investors based on their percent ownership. And did I see correctly that it's 10% on the front end too? Yeah. So in terms of acquisition fee, um, we, we position, so it will vary property by property. Like our property we're launching in the Havana, uh, in Miami called the Havana. It is in little Havana. Uh, that property will have a 5% um, acquisition fee. So mm-hmm. that's one thing as we're learning and like launching this product, we're, we're super open to, to hearing customer feedback and like understanding like where are some of the pain points. And one piece of feedback we heard was like, how can we, you know, figure out a way to lower up our upfront fees so it's more palatable for an investors coming in. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the levers that you can really move to and increase the quality of the deal too. So, exactly. And it's all about IRR at the end of the day. So, I mean, um, that makes sense to me. It just floats. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to ask about your real estate experience at Uber. What was that like? <laughs> what did, what did you do there? Yeah. They do cars, not <laughs> real estate. So What's that like? Um, so fun <laughs> fact, Uber, well, at its peak, I can't speak to the company you know, since like 20 present day, but yeah, no, it, it peaked when you were there <laughs> yeah, for sure. Exactly. Right. Um, but at its peak, Uber managed over a million square feet of, uh, real estate, uh, throughout the globe. So it had a huge portfolio for a tech company and especially globally. Um, and it was really interesting because Uber had, um, office, like corporate real estate, um, retail and industrial all within the footprint um, because one, obviously office workers, like full-time HQ retail was driver partner centers. So a lot of stuff was like taking over old AT&T stores where drivers could come in and like sign up, ask questions, do trainings, things like take a break, things like that. And then industrial was all of the self-driving cars uh, and the whole, you know, that program. Um, and so mm. the team, the real estate team there was really focused on, <laughs> yeah, no longer exists, uh, but the real estate team there was really focused on, uh, you know, how to optimize all of those things, how to keep up with the growth of the company. And then yeah. for the period that I was with that, with that org was a lot of, okay, now we're moving, we were super regionalized. So like Uber would have an office in Columbus, Ohio. Um, and then the period was like, we're actually trying to become more centralized and have big hubs. So how do we figure out the optimization of, you know, moving those employees to Chicago and then also like getting rid of the leases on the books in these like bespoke Mm -hmm. markets all over the world. Um, so that was one of the biggest, uh, biggest challenges to overcome as well as at the time we were building, um, the new San Francisco headquarters at the Chase Arena. Um, so that was a huge project that had a lot of hands on deck. Quick sidebar. Are you on Twitter? I am, but I'm like not. 
Like I'm such a lawyer. I think you should really uh, get active on real estate Twitter. I think that could be a really good retweet um, avenue yeah. for uh, getaway because like the real estate Twitter people are the ones that understand real estate investing and they have enough money to travel. Yeah. So like, you know, there's like 20,000 people that are big into real estate Twitter. So I think that that would be a good avenue. Yeah. It's a good push. I'm like, it's, it's so awkward <laughs> sometimes. I'm like, what is it? Don't tweet from your phone. What? Yeah. Don't tweet, don't from, tweet your phone? from the phone. You got, you got to do it on a web browser. Do- do it on the browser with real keyboard and treat it makes it feel more like a business process and like a personal like oh look at me i have opinions do you guys like, no, this do is you like... tweet? lewis tweets a lot i don't tweet at all really but i'm a voyeur as well yeah, <laughs> yeah kind of, lurker lurker yeah i need to post more on there it's a push for myself too. yeah okay let's hold each other accountable yeah, all right deal. deal twice a week but i twice a week tweets you got to get like a scheduling app and just try to keep the queue full like a spit mm. app where you just like just dump them and then you have like drafts and then what do you tweet about but yeah there's uh, uh lewis is a full <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a primary <laughs> primarily a shit poster first and foremost okay uh-huh. meaning just like just garbage not garbage but like funny having stuff? fun it is yeah it is well it's just I'm entertaining myself at the very least. Um, I, I, we could say I'm still fighting my voice on Twitter. <laughs> if you started uh, posting like uh, threads about your time at Uber, like your real estate knowledge yes. about the short-term rentals, about getaway, about people love a. It's like five reasons story, to make your next you know? deal. Five reasons your next deal should be a short-term rental instead of another. Blah blah blah. Oh, you're big. Like, you're big right. threads guy. Richard well, Furtick. I don't know if it's that we're big threads guy or it's just threads are working. No, but, you know, that's sure. just going to get the retweets and get you more visibility, hypothetically. I love it. Thanks, guys. But, um, you sound like my coach. For sure. Our big thing right now is LinkedIn. <laughs> He's like, you need to become a LinkedIn influencer. Like, every time you post something, like, we get so much engagement. I'm like, okay, I'm working on no, That's it. a good point, too. Because like, LinkedIn and Twitter. LinkedIn, I mean, again, like, gears, can't put this in the podcast, but like, gears to people, like, have jobs. Like paid social right. do not. <laughs> well, right. I mean that's not, in my opinion, that's just a fact. No, right? totally. So I, I don't even see that as like a negative connotation. We can, we'll, we'll take it out the world. <laughs> yeah. fun. You can't yeah, say yeah, for sure. Yeah, you yeah, can't yeah. say that and then. Leave yeah, it. no, yeah, for sure. Uh, but I'm just saying, um, like, I wouldn't feel the need to qualify that statement. Like, people on LinkedIn so. are on LinkedIn. It's just like. Totally. Demographic data is demographic data. I don't know if you, I don't necessarily apologize for it, for, for being the patterns that we see, but, uh, where are you going, going at Kyle? Um, I had a question too. So I, but perfect. No, you go ahead. No. So I've been kind of nerding out lately on internal tools in general. Mm-hmm. And, uh, cause the, the business that I run, we're like data analytics and automation. Okay. For primarily marketing agencies right now, but you know, that's one market we're interested in serving a variety of markets as well. And I heard you talk on another podcast that you have some pretty fancy internal tools for like determining deal flow, right? It was like, someone asked you like, where are you finding your deals? And it was not like, well, I go on Zillow on my couch and whatever looks pretty. It was like, no, it was like, you got like geofencing and things, things sounded pretty advanced. So walk us through like the, the internal tools for deal flow. Yeah. So I'm super lucky. Because, you know, going back to 
where my co-founder and I started, we actually had the opportunity to build, um, you know, a lot of systems, processes, products, tools, whatever you want to call them, um, for, for sourcing deals, um, and basically being able to underwrite them, um, automated, like you, I don't want to say completely like using an algorithm because like I call it human in the loop, like, you know, whatever we plug in, all of our inputs could get us 85, 90% there, but you always need a person validating anything, especially in this world of real estate and, and this bespoke deals. But, um, we, so I lean on him a lot, but we have the ability to, you know, basically scrape all the deals on the market and, um, you know, use our knowledge of market level knowledge to underwrite well and get us to that 85%, you know, accuracy of like, okay, here's the stack rank in Miami of, of what will work and what will work as a short-term rental, especially because that's the biggest thing in our world is like regulation. So Miami, for example, there are specific streets that you can get a short-term rental prop permit for and then one block over you can't um and so being able to like essentially create a filter top of funnel for all the deal flow that runs through that like reduces your time sitting on zillow or redfin all day long trying to figure out like what's going to work what's not going to work i have a, a listener question could you sell those tools for yeah uh, can i buy question. that tool from you for a different <laughs> market yeah <laughs> and <laughs> Um, no, I probably couldn't afford it, but Lewis, what are you saying? And that's a viable question. If you'd ever consider selling productizing that tool as a spinoff. Yeah. I think that makes sense. No, for sure. I think about it as like, is that, could that potentially be like our AWS product? Like, are those the things exactly. that come out of, you know, building this company that are actually like really useful for a greater, um, subset of customers. So for sure, something we would consider. Cool. Listener question. We have kind of a close friend who also works a uh, very similar role to Kyle and, but for health and life sciences properties. Nice. And that's not really related to the question. I was just saying he's in real estate and he wanted me to ask you how you compete against if the other players in the space, such as like a fundrise, or I don't know if he listed another one that, or at least I don't know if I copied it down, but if they were to launch a short-term rental product, what would you think about competing with the other kind of fractional real estate investment? Because right now I do think you have a pretty good monopoly on the, the short-term rentals, but if they were to enter that market, how would you all feel about that? Or what would be, what would change? Yeah, I think, so going back to the operating advantage. So, so much of this market comes down to like, how good are you at operating these types of properties? Um, and we're so early in short-term rentals as an asset class in general that there, uh, you know, there's not like super, super established, you know, gray stars of the world that are going to come in and like run your apartment building and you know exactly what you're going to get uh, and you know exactly the cost structure and things like that. Like we're still in like the beginning innings of this. Um, so I would say first and foremost, like, how well are they going to be able to operate and are they going to outsource that management? Because one thing, you know, that we're really priding ourselves on today is that, that we can like really operate these homes extremely well and, and better than the rest of the market. Um, and that's just given, you know, our property management background and things like that. 
Um, and then second, you know, I really do believe that we're offering something more unique on the stays side of the business and like really focusing on the member experience. So once you become an investor with us, it's not just about your like dollars and cents and investment into the, to the property. Like it's, it is about getting you to the home, being able to touch and feel your investment, sharing it with friends and family, like having that emotional pride of ownership more than just like putting, I always say this, but like putting money into an app and like hoping it goes up into the right. Like this is something you can actually like physically go and enjoy and experience. Um, so making sure we hit that out of the park for our, our, our investors is, is so key. And that would be another area that I think like, you know, we're starting early here. If we could get those things right, like it's going to be hard to beat that from an overall experience perspective. Um, but I do think more and more people will enter the space. Like you're starting to see it like more. I believe that like on Airbnb's platform, they've surpassed like professional managers have now surpassed. Don't hold me to this, but like there's been a huge rise in professional management where like versus the mom and pop. So like we're starting to see this happen. Um, but again, like I just, a fundraise of the world, like I don't know if they're going to be able to operate a short-term rental portfolio the same way as like someone who started from the very beginning doing it. Speaking of it, go ahead, Kyle. You had to load it up, Liz. What's I, I, up? I did. Uh, Kyle and I this summer lived together for a month at a wander jump property in Phoenix. Oh, yeah. We got kicked out like three when days. They, when they went bef under? Before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you know why they failed? And is there a lesson you take? baseball there? Because Liz and I are still pissed <laughs> did, did they give you your money back they, they, they tried were... to charge us more okay um, kyle you're being dramatic they prorated okay. the four unused days at the end of the trip uh just fine but it like because we were there for like 32 days yeah so then they wanted to prorate us for the four days but accepting that refund would knock us under the monthly would knock us under a month so then knock us under the monthly rates so then the 20 percent discount was in excess of the refunds and so i don't totally know what ended up honestly maybe kyle was right to be angry and i was just lewis took care of it <laughs> i was too angry um but was there a, do you know what went wrong and is there a lesson you're taking from their model or is it just not even similar so again don't hold me to this but i believe that Wanderjaunt started um, with a master lease model. So they would go in and actually lease the units, like these multifamily units, uh, and then basically like create an arbitrage on the short-term rental income. And that was how they got supply right. to build kind of like, you know, you could call it like a Sonder like apart, like, you know, curated Airbnb apartment experience in these like multifamilies. Mm -hmm. um, I can speak from experience at Bungalow because Bungalow started with the master lease model. Uh, Bungalow was the previous startup I worked for. And when times are tough, like you hit a global pandemic. It's a, it's a low interest rate. It's a low interest rate environment <laughs> phenomenon. When you hit a global pandemic and people stop traveling or there's eviction moratoriums and nobody has to pay, um, being on the hook for a, a fixed amount of monthly, you know, rent 
it's not a sustainable business model. So I'm guessing mm -hmm. if I had to guess and put a gun to my head, that's what I would think happened with them. But I don't, I don't know more than that. I do have a quick question. Have you thought about awarding and this makes less sense in the context of your business because you guys are managing yourself, but I think that you have a management fee. Mm -hmm. um, so have you thought about awarding like a subordinated shares to property management in order to not have that cash flow out, but rather have the uh, property management company be like a, um, no one's following me. No, <laughs> but basically like pay your property uh, manager with shares of the property versus cash. Right. Flow. Exactly. And have that be the percentage that they would be paid per month. Like for big multifamily, it's like three and a half percent. Yeah. Yeah. The problem with short-term rental management right now is because like you're dealing with, you could have a term, you know, you could have 15 terms a month. Uh, so it's just mm -hmm. way more hands-on and people's expectations are much greater than your long-term tenant. Like for example, I'm renting an apartment. There's an issue with one of the toilets in, in one of the bathrooms. Like if my landlord gets there in, within the week, I'm like happy and I'm fine with it. Whereas like if you, that happens in a short-term rental, like it needs to happen right now yeah. or you're going to get a bad review and bad reviews kill your business. Like a four mm. is a fail. <laughs> like, it just is the way, like even in Airbnb, if you drop bef below like a 4.3 rating, they like tell you 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 might get banned from the platform. So that's the first line of your first tweet of why a four is a fail. <laughs> that's great. I love it. <laughs> we should build out a whole content calendar. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Just ask GPT. Yeah. Right. Um, so with that, the average property manager, so like Vacasa is one of the biggest managers in the space. They charge 25 to 35% of gross revenue um, to do that. <laughs> so it, wow, that's a lot. It's a lot. So, and it, and to be honest, like there are significant costs of, of doing the property management for short-term rentals. So I just don't know if there's like enough there to make it worth somebody's time um, in terms of like giving away ownership percentage, if that makes sense. That's one reason gotcha. why we love managing ourselves too, is like we care about making this work and we care about our investors. Like, you know, like we're responsible in a lot of ways for, for the returns they hit. So we have the ability to like be like, okay, this property, we actually think we can operate it at an 18% property management fee. And it makes sense for our business. Mm. This one, we really need 25% because it's just like way less revenue top line, but we can look at every deal and assess it at a deal level versus working with one of these partners that they're like, nope, we're 25% every time. That's really got a lot of leverage. Yeah, a lot of different work. lovers in that sense. Mm -hmm. Let's do a couple rapid fire bonus questions here. Oh gosh, be nice. Oh, what's that? They're <laughs> not. Said, they're I not said, necessarily. Oh gosh, be nice yeah. to me. <laughs> yeah, that's not the intention to, to be to be gotcha. Just kind of indicating that we're nearing the end of the conversation. But what personal real estate investing are you doing, or is most exciting in your personal real estate investing horizons? 
Yeah, it's a great question. So um, my uh, fiance and I, we have two short-term rental properties ourselves, um, which, you know, are, are good learning grounds for myself uh, just in, in starting this business. And then we're hoping to start building out a long-term portfolio as well. Um, we're super fortunate where, you know, folks in our family are actually, you know, brokers and property managers. So we like have that insider, um, connection in a few markets where we can like easily scale some things. Um, and we're no, we'll know that be taken care of. If you're looking for multifamily in Birmingham, Alabama, or any of the Gulf states, really, just let me know. We cover 15 markets. I love it. We should find um, a deal if we can figure out the regulations on something we could do as a short-term rental or even like mixed use. Okay, we'll talk. Kyle's Seriously. all about sure. that. Yeah. I'm, okay, interesting. Uh, I have some stuff in mind. I mean... And that's another thing that Welcome I want to, to talk the idea about. Segments. We're really running out of time here, but um, BTR as an asset class, yeah. is, which stands for is built to rent. Uh, built to rent. Okay, um, that is just like it's single family built to rent. Um, they're really missing out on some short term rental income there, and I think that there's a big uh, something coming. There's got to be. Maybe it's you. We'll see. I love it. Um, yeah, I've worked in BTR. We have a few deals out right now that are BTR. Nice. Um, and I worked in BTR the last, my last two like internships before my big boy job. So, I um, I think that there's a lot that there, there's like five, there's so many units in the pipeline for these BTR deals that, uh, it, but the big problem, I guess, is that I'm sorry to ramble, but BTR doesn't really work. Uh, unless you have uh, high density or whatever, yeah. like uh, or low density per unit, where the land cost makes sense, and that doesn't really happen in markets where a short term rental would be. Yeah. Okay, glad we thought through that. And, the, well, and then the biggest thing for the short term rental space is like oftentimes the properties that do the best are like the most unique and like almost like not ideal long term rentals in a lot of ways. Like. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing where like build to rent definitely like fits the mold of like, okay, like what is the ideal property for, you know, the nuclear family that's going to fit this like income bracket and so forth. So that's like just one thing to think about. Doesn't mean that those deals don't exist and can't be had, but just in general as a concept, they tend to differ in terms of like asset type that would work. Right. Kyle, any last questions from you? Um, We've covered a lot of ground today. We've covered a lot of ground. Um, where are you seeing lenders land on uh, in terms of interest rate, like for these deals? Yeah. I guess that's a hard question to ask. Let's just say mm -hmm. at like a sixty percent LTV, yeah. you know, something like that. So, I uh, just had a call today um, and was quoted. Uh, I'm trying to do the math because it was based on a sober. Uh, it basically was like best case scenario, like just under six. 
mm-hmm. more realistic is eight today for our folks, type. Today is Wednesday, December 5th, 2022. Wednesday, December 5th. But now again, asterisk, that's a commercial loan for a short-term rental product that lenders tend to think, you know, you're from an institution with a relationship. Yeah, There's exactly a and, things going on there. Yeah. yeah. So want to asterisk that, but I will say like for a long-term rental, I'm sure you could get a little bit better rates. Um, but there is some, you know, lenders look at, at short-term rentals with like some inherent risk. Mm-hmm. So. Right. Well, I think that wraps it up for me and all my questions today, Lewis. I'm in the same boat. We could go for a while, but we, we, we double booked ourselves here at the, uh, the next tenants are taking over vacation. Uh, Allie, where can people find both yourself on the internet, maybe Twitter, maybe link, definitely LinkedIn. Definitely LinkedIn. <laughs> and yeah. also the website for learning about these investment products. Yeah. So you can check us out at getaway.co. So dot co. Um, and then, yeah, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty good at getting back to anybody that does. So it's just Allie Nichols, A-L-I uh, on LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This is super fun. Thanks, guys. This was awesome. And that wraps up another incredible episode of the Lewis and Kyle show. Thank you to Allie for coming on the show. Uh, My three takeaways. Number one is about underwriting and underwriting in real estate specifically. Um, In underwriting, there's tons of different levers that you can change or move in order to impact returns, a few of which have outsized impacts on returns. Number one being um, interest rates. Number two, in this case, being occupancy. And number three being um, the, the acquisition fee that they charge on the front end and the fees in general. Um, and those three things, because they can play with them, you know, they can find a better deal or a worse deal, depending on the way that they decide to play it. And I just think that that's an important note for everybody that is looking to invest in real estate um, is to, you know, focus on the levers and get those right. Because if those are wrong, you can be really, really wrong and lose a lot of money. Um, Number two is I kind of see real estate as like two, like the edge in real estate is kind of on two sides. Number one is like pen and paper being there in front of the deal and in getting a, a understanding of, of what the actual asset feels like, looks like, what the street is like. And then on the other end of the spectrum, it's like high tech. Um, you know, there's an edge there because not many real estate investors use these tools that Allie and her team have built to find really good deals. And so I think if you can do both of those things, you can really be successful. Number three is this concept of um, investing or, or rewarding investors with not only a financial incentive, but a uh, real life, real world incentive, like being able to travel to the to the place and you know show their friends, share it with your family, et cetera. That is a concept that we haven't really seen much. Like this added benefit on top of investing is a a whole new concept. And I think that we'll probably see a lot more of it in the next 10 years. Um, So that was really cool to to hear her um, take on that. And I thought that this was a great episode. Lewis, what'd you think? Yes. I want to riff on what you just said there. So we have an interview scheduled with someone named Drew Glover. It's actually supposed to be today, but we just rescheduled it. And he has this idea he talks about called like Web 2.5 where basically 
web two and web three kind of ignore each other in the sense that like the web three feels like they need to reinvent everything from scratch and web two feels like they should ignore concepts from web three. And I feel like Ali is a really interesting web 2.5 startup in the sense of it's a very web three NFT ish kind of idea of like, what are the perks of owning the NFT, right? It's like all these arbitrary real life benefits. I don't want to say arbitrary. That's the wrong word, but maybe abstract or random, right? You get a discount on staying at these properties if you make this investment. And that's like a sort of very web three native idea, maybe not web three native, but super popular in web three startups and not super popular in web two. Uh, but Ali is also not really making any effort to be like, oh, and by the way, the properties themselves are NFTs and they're going to trade on the blockchain. So it's like taking a web three kind of business model thing that has become rather standard and applying it to a web two idea. So maybe it will connect Ali and Drew and I don't know, maybe just send an email thread and they'll be like, good point, Lewis. And that'll be the end of that. But, um, my three takeaways. The first one is that she had success working with her business partner before. So I forget, this is like many episodes ago. I kind of made this analogy. It was one of our franchising episodes specifically. Uh, maybe it was with Fran Bridge. What what's that? What was his name? John, John from Fran Bridge. John Austinson. Austinson from Fran Bridge. Basically, the, the, the idea being that when you start a business that's a franchise, right? It's like eight out of the 10 things have been figured out and you just need to figure out two. And... Very rarely is it good, a good idea to start a business and need to figure out all 10 pieces and like figure out 10 new things from scratch because you're just, it's like flipping heads, right? 10 times in a row, just the more times you need to flip it in a row, the, the lower the probability is that you're going to get the successful outcome. And kind of the, the operating assumption here is that there's a minimum required successful subsequent in a row flips for it to be useful. The point I'm trying to make here is the fact that her and her co-founder have already been working together successfully before uh, is a huge difference maker besides like, uh, so the analogy is right, Kyle, if you and I started another project, I'd be confident going into it because it's like, well, we've already worked together for three years. So we know that piece of the puzzle is not going to be the cause of failure, right? It, it Maybe the idea is bad, but at least we know that that's a variable or acting in our favor. That was not a very concise way to say that is really cool and gives me more confidence in her and her team. The fact that she's worked with this business partner for a long time in the past already. Takeaway number two is Ali's crystal clear on her advantages. The question of like, you know, what are you going to do if Fundrise launches an offer like this or if other fractional real estate investing platform launches an offer like this? She's like, they just don't have the bandwidth to hire an SDR short-term rental operator like me. Like, They're just going to not operate the properties as well. They're not going to decorate them as well. They're not going to... Again, she's just like, that's the, that's the edge. And she was really clear on that. Uh, so I think the more you can clearly elaborate your advantages, the better you're going to sound on podcasts, but also probably the more likely you are to withstand competition when it comes up. And finally, this is kind of a cop-out takeaway, but at least I uh, gave a riff with you at the beginning that became its own web 2.5 takeaway. So this is takeaway 2.5 because I made another 2.5. But fractional investing is just super fun. I'm super glad we have these conversations. And I'd encourage you, if you liked this conversation, to check out some of our other episodes on the topic. We did one with Stefan von Imhoff, who runs a content company called Alts.co, which is all about alternative investments, many of which are fractionalized. And we also discuss with Kenny Rose, the founder of Franchairs, which is fractional investments in franchises like Sports Clips, which is a really random example. That is always the one I give first. That's everything for me. I was rambling today and I appreciate your patience with us. I hope that if you're interested in this conversation, you read about Ali, maybe send her a message on LinkedIn, maybe look at her platform. But of course, this is not financial advice. It is a podcast. Kyle and I know nothing and are just here to learn and have fun. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this. Subscribe so you know about the next episode and we will see you there. Have a good one. Bye-bye.